Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Paramount Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome back to the show. Um, great to have you all here again. Um, and uh, it's another great episode we've got lined up today. Um, it's the kind of the third part of um, our series that we're doing on superhero grief, I would say, um, and um, kind of um modern superheroes of modern mythology and just what we can learn from these characters about how we process grief and joining me today again um it's my honor to have um amanda held opel welcome back thank you i'm glad to be back yeah it's uh it's it's really great to uh to have you here um uh and uh and you're going to be interviewing me today to a certain extent. So, uh, Well, yes, because here comes the part of the podcast where I once again admit to you that I am woefully ill-prepared for this discussion because have I watched any episodes? So if you've listened, listeners, a word for the listeners, if you have listened to any of the other uh, podcasts James and I have done about superheroes, you know that I am not a person who has had a history of interest in the genre of superhero that I'm like more of like a history, like um, movies about history are kind of my thing. And so um, in following James on Twitter, he is the singular person who has ever gotten me remotely interested in the genre of superhero. And so he's basically pairing me for when my children start going to sleep at night and I can start watching movies and TV again, he is laying groundwork for me to be prepared to engage with this genre, particularly Avenue of Grief. What I have to say about grief. So that is what this is. This podcast series is educating Amanda about the deeper levels of human wisdom to be found within the superhero genre brought to you by James Prescott. That is what this is. Awesome. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we've done Batman and Superman in the last two episodes. Mm -hmm. This week, we're going to move to a different universe, um, the Marvel universe. Um, I mean, there's so many characters in the Marvel universe we could, we could look at. Um, but the two we're going to look at today, um, and the, the, the reason we're looking at these two, is Loki. Um, and in particular his TV show, which was last year. I had an episode on the Loki TV series last year, um, um, And uh, but we're going to explore a specific thing in relation to that. And um, uh, Wanda, WandaVision, um, which came which out in the I'll same think. year as Loki. Um, and I will say about WandaVision, I've never been tagged on something quite so much on Twitter as WandaVision when the episode came out and there was that brilliant quote about grief. Yes. What is it? What if, what is, what is grief if not love? Persevering. Yeah. Persevering. Yes. And so everyone was like, well, obviously, I think that was just when my book about grief, A Hole in the World, was being published. And so everyone was like, you have got to watch this TV show because of the way it deals with grief. And I don't, I, as a rule, I don't like to blame my children for kind of just like being an irresponsible human in the world. But 
Um, Anyone who has kids the age of two and four know that committing to watching a new television series when you have kids that age is quite the ass. Oh, yeah. But by the time they get in bed, uh, we are really lucky to watch a 20-minute segment of American Idol before we fall asleep. And so, again, this is me preparing for some future date in which I will have free time again in the evenings to to watch a show like WandaVision, which again, I'm very excited about because I've, I've heard such good things. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And you know, like, I mean, most people who are listening probably have seen these shows, so there will be spoilers for these shows um, for their characters' stories, by the way, if you're, if you've not seen them. So this episode will contain spoilers. The good thing for me is that I have very short-term memory. Like, I, I, I have a hard time remembering details when it comes to plot lines. So even if you give a spoiler alert, I'll probably be okay when I watch it. Also, I once heard a friend, Justin Lonis. He said, oh, you can find him on Twitter too, Justin Lonis. Um, J.R. Lonis writes, I believe. He said that great fiction or great storytelling spoilers are not possible because you could tell the details of what happens at the end of the story yeah. and the character Absolutely. development is so brilliant, it's so beautiful that it doesn't even matter that you know the punchline at the end. So, yeah, that's, I would agree with that. Don't worry about the spoilers, James. Yeah, uh, well, the background, I mean, the background of the two characters um, is probably the best place to start, right? So, Loki is um, is the brother of Thor, the adopted brother of Thor, um, and he's the god of mischief. Um, yes, he's a sinister character, right? Like, yeah, this is what yeah, I... and he's yeah, he was taken away from his birth family in in a war. He was brought up by um, Thor's father, Thor's parents. Basically, they were they were basically his parents. Always felt inferior to Thor. Always felt that he was like not the kind of Thor was like the, the the special one, the chosen one, the chosen child. You know, he was overlooked and ignored or whatever. He always felt had this inferiority complex, basically, with Thor. Um, and felt, but yet felt that it was his kind of right to rule, right? Um, that, that, that somehow he had he was entitled to, to rule, like you know, um, um, didn't see ruling as a responsibility but as a right um was he did you say younger brother or older younger, brother younger yeah uh, oh that's a whole yeah that is a whole conversation yeah exactly right that's the last <laughs> the younger sibling uh, <laughs> uh kind of mentality yeah, yeah exactly so in the first thor movie he tries to you know he tries to take over um isengard which is where where they're from um and fails and ends up being kind of banished to earth almost at the end of that movie. And, and then of course there's the first Avengers movie where he is the primary villain and he's trying to take over the world basically. And brings this, brings this intergalactic army with him to try and do it and, and gets defeated. Now uh, this is where you have to jump to Endgame because in the first Avengers movie, he gets taken back to, to be punished on Thor's homeworld. Right. But at the end game, that timeline was distorted, and he ends up getting this um, this thing called uh, the cube. It's kind of a, made of, made from an infinity stone, and just transporting himself to another dimension, which creates a whole different timeline, which is where we get the Loki TV show. In the other timeline, 
Um, his mother dies, his father dies, and he's, you know, he ends up sacrificing himself actually to save, to help save the universe, which is, which is, which is one timeline. But this is a whole different timeline. That's and that's where Loki picks up is when he's just transported himself to this alternate dimension, and he's picked up by these police, these, these police who uh, govern different people's timelines, and if they're out of sync with their timeline, uh, which is called the sacred timeline. And then they can get arrested and put in this kind of time prison, which is where he's taken. So that's the show. That's the that's where Loki is at the start of his show. Wanda is um, she lost her parents very young. She was a twin, so her and her twin brother were experimented on and given superpowers. And while her power was kind of manipulating minds, manipulating like physical stuff like moving stuff with her mind like you know um so he got all these powers um and she was um kind of locked up and experimented on basically right um and then like in the second avengers movie her and her brother escape and um try to help the avengers and her brother gets killed so she's now lost her brother and her parents Uh. Gotcha. Right, and then, um, and then she, uh, what happens then? She's, she takes sides with, um, with Captain America in Civil War, which ends up, you know, with her kind of being put, like becoming a fugitive a little bit, um, and then. Yeah, her and she falls in love with Vision, um, and they kind of go and hide away in Scotland, um, on a kind of on, almost on the run a little bit, but but uh, just hiding away and building a life together. Gotcha. And then, what is, what is Vision's power? Vision Vision was Vision was created by an Infinity Stone out of a um, computer consciousness, like Jarvis, okay. which is which is the kind of AI that Tony Stark creates to run his house. And you combine okay. this with, a, with, a, with an infinity stone and they grew this body in this chamber. And um, he becomes this, becomes vision basically. Gotcha. Um, and he's very powerful, can move through anything, can fly, can fire things out of his head. And he's um, kind of a seeker of peace, basically. Like um, he's, non-violent he's you know very calm and rational and um like a good guy really but but with with a lot of power um and so she runs off the they're kind of they're kind of both outsiders which is why they fall in love with each other really um and then avengers infinity war and endgame happen and at the end of infinity war um Vision sacrifices himself, basically. In fact, he actually asks her to kill him because Thanos wants the Infinity Stone because he wants to take over the universe and kill half the universe. He says, Mm. "Better you kill me and take this and destroy this stone than 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 him destroy half the universe." So she does it, and then, but Thanos comes and has the Time Stone, so wind back time, and then. Takes it out of his head, takes the stone out of his head, and kills him anyway. Oh, right. So she loses okay. him. Um, so she's lost everybody that she's loved. 
everyone. Wow. Wow. Um, she lost her par- lost her parents. She lost her brother, and then she lost her partner. Um, and uh, so she's lost everybody. She's been through a lot of grief, right? Right. And then and and that's kind of where you leave her. And then that's where WandaVision picks up is a few months down the road from that, and she's living in this village, which is almost like a nineteen fifties village, like a nineteen fifties idealistic. You know, like typical, you know, kind of the kind of place that they used to display on TV shows, you know, where everyone's got a nice house yeah. and a nice car and it's 2.4 children yeah. and married couples and like, a you know, it's actually presented like a 50s TV show in the first couple of episodes. Yes, that is what it kind of intrigues me about this particular series is that it has this kind of motif of like 1950s, Ozzy and Harriet, Leave it to Beaver TV show, hmm. like almost the well you know i don't know if you've seen the truman show yes I where it's kind movie. of falsely constructed idyllic world or idyllic by 1950s standards um but that's kind of the look that is yeah and that's not and that's i wonder if you mentioned the truman show because what what it obviously turns out to be is that her she has taken she's taken vision's body um and manufactured she's gone into this real village at this plot of land that the vision that vision had bought for them to build a house on and there's this really powerful scene where she just kneels down on the ground and screams and it's like this raw grief but because she's powerful it unleashes all this power inside of her and it almost manufactures this this idyllic village oh she is in control of right very interesting creates this world with these children which are not her real children but Mm. are her children and vision who is still alive you know living this idyllic life in this village but it's not real okay so tell me about this then like what is what is this trying to communicate about our like post catastrophic event, post catastrophic loss, how we cope? That's so interesting. I mean, when you talk about her screaming in this kind of raw grief moment, I mean, I immediately, you and I've talked about Irish keening before, yeah. the keen being yeah. this kind of un, um, unleashed, um, kind of primal wail of yeah, sorrow. It, it's like that. Yeah, it's very much like that. Yeah, they made space for it in Ireland in the olden days. They actually they actually set aside a time for everyone to scream like this. Um, but it's so interesting that it is from that scream that this kind of it, world, I don't know, is it escapism? Is it the, the, the death of, of what Yeah, I mean, she it gets... It gets to the point where she doesn't even know that she's created it. She doesn't know to start with. She doesn't realize. Or maybe she sort of thinks she does, but but is choosing to ignore it. You know, she doesn't want to she doesn't want to uh to to to, to, to she doesn't want to know it doesn't it's not real. So she almost forgets. But what happens in the show is there's a series of circumstances where Vision um, 
and even her start to question what what is this place? There's something about this place that's not quite right. Um, and of course, it starts to come to light what's really going on. And then you see that you also interestingly in the show you see the perspective of the people outside the village because they can see what's really happening. They can see this 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 whole load of energy that's covering this village and projecting this alternate reality, right? And uh, but wow. they can you can only see that from the outside. You can't see that when you're wow. in it. Which is another great yeah. metaphor, actually, because when you're dealing with grief, sometimes you can't see how you're how that's coming across, or what what like how other people are seeing you, or how other people are perceiving it, because you're so in it. Yes, yes. Oh, wow, that's so that's so true. You're so much a part, uh, so much a part of it. You can't see it clearly. Yeah, exactly. Right, especially when you've let the grief control you, rather than actually doing the work of grief. Right. Um, um, and what actually happens is there's a there's this character called um, oh I've forgotten her name now. <laughs> there's this witch anyway. Like I've forgotten her name. My mind's gone completely blank, and I should know it. Uh, Agatha, Agatha. Um, ah, that's where that meme comes from. It was Agatha all along, right? Um, yeah. But what actually she does is force Wanda to confront reality. So she takes her on this, almost like this tour of her life and all the places that meant something to her. And she's actually forced to confront her grief. Wow. And Agatha's not meant to be the, the hero at all. She's kind of a villain. But she forces forces Wanda to face up to all of this. And that's why we have this scene with, with Vision where they're sitting mm. in their bedroom talking and they're talking about grief. And he says that line. What is grief but yeah. love persevering? And yeah, um, it's quite an emotional scene. It's like I've had IFS therapy, and it's kind of like it felt kind of like a real life version of that, where you're physically you're going to different scenes from your life and reliving them yeah. from yes. the perspective of you now, yeah. and doing work on them. It was kind of like that, and that's what happens with with wonder. And she obviously she realizes what's what's going on, and that that yeah. she's creating this world and. Um, and she knows deep down that she's got to got to stop this, like because she's harming people and she's controlling people without their consent. And um, well, and it kind of reminds me a little bit. I don't know if the the acronym EMDR yes, means anything yes. to you. Absolutely, yeah, that's yeah. Just that. Like um, a ther a, ver- a trained licensed therapist, um, kind of after after you've done some kind of uh, preparatory work to build up some of your coping and resilience skills. A trained therapist can work with you to kind of call up in a little bit more of a visceral way, some of the trauma or the, the, the loss you've experienced so that you, you do to a degree relive the memories and then your brain, again, this is why the person needs training and then <laughs> licensing, but they, they work with you to get your brain to kind of, um, uh, process it in a way where it's not stuck. Your body doesn't get stuck in those feelings yeah. anymore. But anyway, I'm like, does, does Agatha represent a trained, licensed therapist? But it sounds like she's a little bit of a, a, a not necessarily a protagonist, but maybe a villain has some villain undertones to her. Yeah, and she, yeah, um, that's right. What what she's doing is trying to help. Um, Wanda discover who she really is 
which is a witch. Yeah. Ah. My, which is, and that she's always been a witch, and that, um, and that the superpowers that she has just added to that. They weren't. They, that's not because she had. It's not because she had superpowers that she's a witch. She was already a witch. And of course, what happens is, as we both know, when you start processing your grief and working it through and doing healing, you start to discover yourself a bit. You start to in, become more embodied. Um, and realize who you are. And that's actually what happens to Wanda. Um, right? So she becomes more powerful. She becomes more confident. She realizes what she has to do and that she has to let go of this space and the, and the past and these children that are not hers. Um, and um, and that and she, she does. But the one person she traps in this fake reality is, is, is Agatha. She keeps her trapped in okay. this fake reality, um, which shows that she's not completely healed yet. You know? yeah. Um, yeah. And, and actually what happens is there's a, there's another, there's a, after WandaVision, there's a movie, Dr. Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, where she is essentially the villain. Um, mm. And what she is doing, she is going to every every timeline in the multiverse and she's trying to find one where her children where she actually had children and wants to take those children and bring them up as her own oh interesting so she's kind of gone to this it's gone to this dark place like she's kind of come into her power but actually is now still hasn't grieved properly i think she i think she's what she's grieving is the loss of her children at this point because she kind of lost her children at the end of WandaVision right I see um, and that's a tra- and it's kind of a tragic story and you know she kind of she ended up realising what she was doing and you know and um, stops it but sacrificing herself so it's kind of a tragic story of like where her grief gets the better of her really uh, but I, it wasn't a great movie and it wasn't brilliantly written, unfortunately. It wasn't the story that I thought it should have been for her. But WandaVision is a really great story of what happens when we don't deal with our grief well, basically. Sure. Like, and, yeah. um, because it can end up controlling other people. It can end up causing harm to other people. It can, you know, hurt people, hurt people. It's a, it's a real thing. Um, yeah. And yeah. that shows an example of it, really. Um, and, and when there's that suspension from reality, we aren't able to perceive where and how we're hurting other people yeah. because we're so trapped in our own world of grief. Exactly. Yeah. That, that, this, this, that, this show is, a, is definitely an example of that. Um, reminded me of how toxic religion can be like that as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Toxic religion yeah. can be a place where you hide from dealing with your grief. Right. Oh, so yeah. unpack that a little bit, and what makes you think that? Well, I was part of it because for a while, I, and I you know, it's like. <laughs> and by the way, I'm not having a go at healthy, healthy expressions of religion and spirituality at all. Totally, um, but, but of spiritual bypassing, yeah, right? It's like, like when you go where you go to church and you're told to, like, uh, maybe therapy is bad. Don't do therapy. You know, God can heal everything. Just have prayer ministry. You know, just give it to God, and, and suddenly it's going to be okay. You know, and I've had actually, I've actually had friends who've lost 
loved ones and who have done this, right? And then they think, oh, everything's okay now. And they act like everything's right. okay. And they act, they act like everything's better. And they say everything's better. Yes, and, yes. You know, and I, I was there and saw this and I thought, no, it's not. It's not better. <laughs> you just think it is. Because um, I know, because I've been there, right? I, I, I even got sucked into that for a while myself, thinking it was all okay. I thought I'd dealt with my grief, but I hadn't dealt with it. I just buried it under some religious certainty. And right. And that's right. What I what what frustrates me is when um, you know, the story we have stories of redemption within faith and those are vital, those are necessary. But when that story then is made to swallow the story of pain or to, to, to erase the story of pain. Say, we're going to erase your pain with victory. We're going to erase your loss with um, positive, um, optimistic, spiritual language or spiritual platitudes. What I love to see is when the story of hope exists alongside the story of pain and they, they coexist and they are both true and we live in the tension of it. It's that when you step into a funeral service in a church, that's just called a celebration of life. And I don't, I don't want to, um, other people can call the funerals of their loved ones, whatever they want. (laughs) But, but I, I really prefer to call it a funeral because it's like, we, this is not a celebration. This is mourning. This is, this is grieving. This is loss. Um, and, and we can't write over that, um, with a different name and put spiritual language to it, to write over that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's, that's right. You know, and certainly when I pass away, I'm going to make sure that we, that, I might even put things in place to make sure that people have an opportunity to grieve properly rather yeah, than just exactly. move on and pretend it, nothing's bad has happened. You know, because it's, yeah, it's right. important to acknowledge yeah. what has happened and to sit yeah. in that and feel that and understand it. And, you know, because otherwise you'll never deal with it properly. Um, yeah. And yeah. So that's what I, that's what I saw, you know, when I watched that show, especially it being, 1950s america kind of where all of that kind of was like really really kind of the norm almost so um and where that really that kind of movement really took off um yeah kind of definitely got got um vibes for that when i watched that show so yeah um oh yeah that's an interesting parallel for sure and the contrast with loki because um it's important. I, I would recommend everyone watch the first Thor movie and the first Avengers movie before they watch the Loki show, and watch the Loki show directly okay. after the first Avengers movie, because that's when it's, okay. in, that, in his timeline. That's when it happens. Okay. And so he starts off with this kind of villainous, duplicitous, narcissistic, you know, egotistical um, villain. Really, he wants to control everything. Who deceives people? Who manipulates people who doesn't tell the truth all the time um um which sounds scarily familiar doesn't it but um but what happens is again that he's in when he's when he's in this this place which is kind of outside of time where you can see all the different timelines he's sat in a room with this guy um uh, this kind of agent um 
And um, basically what they do is they play his whole life on a screen in front of him. What has happened and what will happen. And he has to watch it. And it's quite a powerful moment when he has to watch his whole life in front of him. And he has a conversation because this guy, this agent um, that's working with him, um, knows him, knows everything about him, knows his whole life, knows all his tricks, knows everything that he'll try and do, knows literally more, almost more than he does about him. And so he can't can't get anything by him, right? So, um, and so he's forced to confront all of this stuff. He's forced to confront the death of the future death of his mother. He's forced to confront his childhood. He's forced to like actually start talking about this stuff. It's almost like therapy, you know. Um, and um, and of course, this does something to him, obviously. And what 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 ends up happening is he ends up meeting different versions of himself, different variants of himself from different timelines, including a female version of himself. So not the parallel, I guess, then it it, it seems like with WandaVision is this forced confrontation with the, or with the true self or. Yeah, absolutely. And, but his response is very different. I think it's because something happens to him over that, over that, over the whole show. And his character changes completely. You know, it's almost being forced to face up to who he is and what has what has happened to him and how he how that made him feel, and then seeing sure. other versions of himself. Yeah, and it all does something to him, and. Like, like, it's actually quite funny because you go to this world where there's all these different variants of himself, like an, an old version of himself, a crocodile version of himself, um, a child version of himself, uh, like all these different variants of himself. Um, and, you know, like I said, like I said, a female version of himself as well. He's like one of the lead female in the series is a female version of him, um, which is a really interesting dynamic, like, because um, they kind of almost fall in love with each other. <laughs> um but um, so through this process, and like you know, I, I, it's difficult to explain like six or six episodes, you know, in, in like in like a few minutes. But oh, like at the end, of the, in the last episode of the series, he's he meets this he meets um, uh, Kang, right? Who's meant to be he's the next big Marvel villain. So he's Kang is like the guy, this guy that has the power over all the timelines, every timeline. He's just okay. sitting in his castle overseeing all these timelines. And they're going to try and destroy him because before he unleashes all these different multiverses and lets them interact with each other and things get out of control. And so the sacred timeline is disrupted by all these other timelines. They're trying to stop this, right? So, um, and he offers Loki power over the whole time. He just offers it to him. And Interesting. This is Loki who who who's spent two movies trying to take over the world and trying to take over his home world, craving power, thinking that will solve all his problems. And he's offered this. He's offered this this even more powerful position, and he just turns it down without thinking about it. It's um, so. Why is that? 
So he turns it down because it's almost like he doesn't need it anymore. It's because he's, and, and it's not a surprise when he turns it down either, because you've seen what he's, this journey he's been on and who he's become. And he's like, he's almost trying to do the right thing. Um, he's trying to help people. And it's like, he's almost realized what he was and how unhealthy what he was doing was. Yeah. And, and then he has to try, to try to stop the other variant of himself from trying to take the power. Yeah. Which is yeah. really ironic. It's like, you know, given where he came from. And at the end, the other, the variant of himself unleashes all these alternate timelines. And he goes back to where, to this place where he had all this therapy, well, therapy, I suppose, and met all these agents. And it's a, it's almost like it's changed completely and they don't remember him. Yeah. Yeah. And he's the only one that knows what's really going on. Right. And he's sitting, and there's this shot, I, I posted it on, on Instagram at the time. There's this shot of him, and he's sitting there, and it's he's worn down, and his face is so heavy. And it looks, it looks aged by grief. It looks way, he looks weighed down by this heaviness of what is happening and all this stuff that he's been processing and all that, that he knows the reality of everything that's really happening and is burdened by it almost. Like there's this kind of, it's like he's weighed down by grief. Like, and you can see that he's done the work. You can see that he's, you know, that the veil has kind of been lifted off him and he's just like bearing the weight of everything that's happened. Yeah. And uh, it's such a powerful moment. I, I, I'll have to share that photo, the photo of you with you with, um, um, Amanda, when I when we finish recording, but it's, it's such a powerful moment because it's like how, how did how did you have to go back and watch the Avengers movie again and think, wait a minute, he was like this six episodes ago, and now he's not even the same person anymore. He's like completely changed and um and matured and like healed and. Like he's feeling all of this this grief. He's got it in his body. It's all there. Like and it's um and he's been transformed by it. By actually engaging with his grief, he's been transformed. Um Right. Yeah. He's a completely different person. Um kind of that lightness that he always had and that ego that he always had, it's kind of disappeared. Because he's now actually feeling everything that he's had to process. And right. now he's carrying something even more because he's carrying a weight that nobody else in the world that he's in is actually aware of. Yeah. yeah. And so there's kind of, it's, uh, it's so powerful. Yeah. Not hiding from it anymore. Yeah. Because I, I resonated with that. I resonated with how that, how it feels to carry that weight around with you. Um, yeah. When other people sure. are not carrying that weight. Yes, and you feel so isolated and alone in in that burden. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, what do you? What are your questions, thoughts? Oh my goodness. Well, I mean, I think maybe. Why do you think? Well, I mean, why do you think these two stories resonated so much with people? Because I saw so much positive, like, um, conversation and chatter about it on Twitter. 
um, people saying what what compelling storytelling it was, how well that is. So, so besides maybe just kind of maybe the artistry of the filming or the storytelling, like what is it, what's the deeper thing that you think people are resonating with, with these two stories? I think, I think it's interesting at the time when they came out, I think they came out in 2021. So we're all was, in a COVID world. That's right. Yeah. They, we're we're they, in the pandemic. So, um, and so I think people were carrying a lot of grief Sure. Yeah. And people are always carrying a lot of grief, but in particular, there was this collective grieving of the life that we'd had, and some people were, some people were not dealing with it and hide, trying to hide from it, you know, with conspiracy theories and yeah. all this kind yeah. of thing that people use to hide from reality, um, and some people were actively dealing with it and processing it, and some people were going through tra- genuine transformation, you know, and. Um, yeah. So these two shows for me like captured the two, almost the two responses that we can have to trauma and grief. You know that, and certainly from my perspective, I saw elements of my my journey in both of them because I'd been that person who had hidden away and like tried to and thought I dealt with it and hadn't, and yeah, I'd also right. been the person who had ended up having to face up to all of it and felt that weightiness and that heaviness and that that transformation um, and discovering myself, my true self, I'd I'd seen that as well. So it was, and I think people resonated with, especially with Loki, with his, with that heaviness that he was carrying. Like, because everyone was feeling a lot of that at the time. It was, you know, and probably still are. And, and of course, Tom Hiddleston is such a good actor as well. Like he's, he's very good at conveying, those those emotions and like he's very good at um he's just he's just a very good actor uh, and so yeah. is um the the person who played um, um uh, elizabeth olsen who played uh, wanda she's a very good actress as well so they both conveyed these emotions really authentically and you could you could empathize and connect with them and or at least understand them if you couldn't empathize with them you know, right. um, you know, there were, there was, it was believable. It was, it was powerful, you know, and I mean, I especially connected with Loki. Um, that, that, I'll never forget that shot. I've got it in my head right now in the, the last episode. Um, it's just so, mm, it's just, it just, you just, you just, it's just, I can't communicate it really. It's just so powerful. Like this kind of, it's all etched over his face and, you know, he's not slick and just smooth and all like dressed, presented really well like he was in the movies, the earlier movies, but he's kind of a bit of a mess and like, you know, looks worn down by everything. And it, yeah, I, I just resonated with that so much. And like I said, I posted an Instagram post about it because I because I felt it so deeply that it was just so, I just something I had to share. Um, um, and it's just like... You know, facing up to grief and dealing with your trauma and actually doing the work is not easy. You know, um, that, that, that's what that communicated. It's not easy, but it is necessary. Like yeah. for real healing and to, you know for transformation and being your authentic self, you need to do that work because otherwise you'll just carry it around with you and it will control you. I mean, ironically, it controlled Loki for a long yeah. time. Like his quest for power was really a quest for um, a, way, a way to numb his pain. Yeah. 
to avoid dealing with his pain, to just control everything. If I control everything, then I can't be hurt anymore. You know, and I can resonate with that. Like I had moments where I had like, you know, trauma meltdowns where I was just like, I just wish I could control everything because then I wouldn't get hurt. You know, like that's a, I understand that impulse. You know, it's, it's a common impulse from people. Like when they respond to trauma is to try and control things so that they can't get hurt anymore. And that was his, that was his trauma response. And once he dealt with the trauma, that wasn't there anymore. That need to control everything was gone, which you see at the end of the the, the, the last episode where he turns down the chance to kind of rule time, you know, um, and just says, no, we can't do this. This is not responsible. We can't let this happen kind of thing. Which yeah. is like, this is Loki saying this, you know, like, um, because it's totally different from the character that you've got to know. Yeah. And, um, but it's believable. It's completely believable. It doesn't feel rushed at all. It feels really authentic. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, just talking it now and thinking about how much it resonated with people during the, the particular season we were in is that I, I am wondering if kind of um, COVID acted as kind of a lens by which we all had to confront our past griefs, a lens by which we had to confront our uh, per, the precariousness by which we live our lives, our fragility, how, um, you know, really everything in some ways is a house of cards. We have all these illusions of control in 21st century privileged UK, privileged America. But there's something about COVID that to me forced me to kind of deal with the reality of, no, no, things actually are out of my control. Things actually are quite fragile. And these are all the things that have happened in my life that were out of control, out of my control and and were an example of my fragility. And that that that's sometimes why I think we are all coming out of COVID feeling still a bit rattled and tired and exhausted and mean (laughs) is because we've all been on this tour of our own um, limits. It's like a tour of our um, fragility during COVID. Mm. And that's why this series was so powerful for people at that time. I agree. I absolutely agree. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Connected with something deep inside people and whether they realized it or not. yeah, and I remember when the when the pandemic started. I remember going shopping, walking down the street to the shop, and saying, "Things are never going to be the same. It's not going to be the same ever again." And people don't realize this right now, and they don't understand this right now. But I, I just had, I just felt intuitively like, and I did feel sure. even then that it would be a good opportunity for us to finally confront our grief culturally and individually, like and historically, like we could finally. You know, if we chose to do that, um, and at the start, I was hopeful that we would, but you know, and maybe and I think some people have, some people yeah. certainly have, and I've seen. I think the the number of people that are deconstructing now, like it's becoming a bigger thing. Yeah, and I think COVID is definitely partly responsible for that. I think Trump is partly responsible for that as well. Um, but I think COVID was, and lockdown in particular was, you know, was this kind of chance to reflect and even for me i know that i started properly having real therapy around the time lockdown started i yeah. started doing embodiment work with an embodiment coach at, at, around the time lockdown started so i was doing that doing all that work and i was having time to reflect on it properly 
Yeah. And, spent, and so it really sped up my healing, I think. And it sped up my transformation and connection to myself because I was having so much more time with myself while I was doing all this work on myself. Yeah. Well, and I, I guess I, I, I worry because I feel like some people did that. Some people really did the work. It just doesn't feel like we maybe collectively did, mm. you know, because okay. I don't know why that is. I don't know why it wasn't kind of a, t- uh, I don't know, like how did the forces of good win over the forces of evil? James, like we'll never answer that question, mm-hmm. but it just felt like our, our, um, sh- you know, this is always kind of like our better angels didn't seem to win the day on this one, at least not in the U.S. It felt like um, it, it just for about three weeks, we were all kind of together in our shared mortality and fragility and cheering on the heroes and willing to make sacrifices. And after about four, three to four weeks that was the end of that and individualism and yeah. the desire for productivity and the desire to control um, mm. took, took the day. Yeah. You know? It was about two months, three months here. We were doing this thing called and clapping nurses every Thursday. Yeah. Oh, yeah, time. I know. I, uh-huh. it was, I felt really, at the time, it was really positive. Everyone was together. Everyone was, like, united. Everyone was you know, behind the NHS. Everyone was... Like this is a crisis. We have to make sacrifices, you know, and let's appreciate the people that are doing all the work and everything like that. And it was really good. And it just faded out, you know, it just faded out. And, and this government that this government who told us to clap the nurses and now it's, has been cutting their pay, has been cutting the spending on the health service, has been cutting, you know, giving health contracts to uh, rich friends who have no experience in healthcare, you know, like, and it, it kind of feels that the government's words were kind of empty, but I think that at the time people were really genuinely grateful. Yeah. And people were together. And when, and I thought if we could just do this all the time and have this sense of community and togetherness and supporting each other um, and facing up to what's really happening in the world, the world will be better. The world will be better. You know, we might have to deal with a few difficult things in the short term, but in the long term, the world will be better. You know, and yeah. I wanted to believe that 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 would happen, but obviously it didn't happen. Um, you know, and that was well, that's really sad. Yeah, yeah. And I'll I'll bring it back around to our the topic at hand. Um, you know the these superhero um, these universes um, these kind of modern mythologies that we tell. It it feels like right now people are are comprehending and engaging at the pace of Twitter, at the word length of Twitter, these snippets of, uh, you know, um, kind mm-hmm. of sound bites of rage and sound like you, you can't have a proper processing of differences mm-hmm. with a character limit like we have on Twitter and, and even just the, 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 the kind of the, the time frame in which social media works, not to mention the algorithm that's manipulating <laughs> the conversation. But but I think what the, the role that these stories play, and this is why I think mythology has always played such a huge role, storytelling mythology within cultures across time and cultures across generations, and um, is that a story forces you to slow down and inhabit meaning, inhabit um, deeper truths 
And so, you know, maybe, I mean, this is, I don't know, no one from Disney Plus or anywhere is paying me to say this, but perhaps if everyone had slowed down and watched WandaVision or something, mm-hmm. we inhabited our pain in a way that was more, I don't know, imaginative, curious, um, embodied. I don't know. But instead, it's just like we're, we're looking for these quick fixes, of like these like rage hits on yeah. Twitter yeah. To, to affirm the darkest parts of ourselves. And so I, I think yeah, story is so important because it allows ourselves to separate. We are separated from our own story and our own emotions and introduced to someone who's like us, someone who maybe we aspire to be someone who has lived a story similar to ours. And so we can be a little bit objective and then we can watch and follow and see mm-hmm. and learn and grow from their story and it feels less confrontational. It feels less accusatory. And yet it is us. It is looking in a mirror. It is, yeah. it is examining our own lives. And that's why I think that's why, yeah, storytelling, mythology, folklore, all these things are so important, you know, and, and have, yeah. have, like, why do we have storytelling? Why has every culture across every generation has storytelling? And I think it's because of this, you know, and we're changing the way we tell stories a little bit, but um, mm. it, there's no for it. You're right, and you know, and it is sad about Twitter and the algorithm. I mean, I when when we thought Twitter was disappearing for good, I started using some other social media things, uh, Mastodon in particular. And what I noticed in that period was like the algorithm here is completely different. There's no one who's outraged. There's no one who's angry. There's no rage tweeting. There's no subtweeting. It's because the algorithm is completely different, and I realized. At that point, and I kind of already knew, but this kind of brought it into focus, was that the algorithm of Twitter is is basically we will find things and direct things to you that will make you angry so that you can rage tweet about them and get loads, and everyone can rage tweet about them and everyone can subtweet about them. And then the more people use the platform and get more engagement and you get more followers and, and and you get psychologically addicted to this and start thinking it's normal. And yeah, it's, uh, and it's yeah, not well, normal, you know, and it's it's like, and it, like you say, it, it doesn't allow us space to process the deeper emotions that we're experiencing, you know, yeah. and I, I, and that's why I block a lot of, a lot of accounts now. And I just don't respond when I see people responding to all these things that come out and like, and getting angry about everything. And I'm like, look, I'm angry at injustice whenever injustice happens. Yeah. Period. But yeah. I'm not going to raise tweet about it to prove that. I don't have to get angry at every little thing, that, you know, to prove that. I, you know, I'm angry about gun violence. I'm angry about, you know, other things in the world that are just not right. But I'm not going to just go on and on and on and on about it on Twitter and just lose myself in there, which doesn't achieve anything even. All it does is satisfy my anger. Right. right? And that's right. not healthy, I don't think. Um, you know, um, and so you're right about that. And I, and the other thing I, I realized actually is that like with, with, with storytelling and, and modern mythology, you know, we need, we need more stories of hope. We need more, you know, we need more characters that say, yes, the world is not a perfect place and there's injustice and there's suffering and that's wrong. But also that we can do that if that, that a better world is possible. Yes, that we can make it. That we can make the world better. That we can, 
do something positive to, to change that. Like, um, and this is why I love Superman because this is what Superman is all about. Um, right. And I remember the first Superman movie in 1978 came in that period in, in American history where you just had Watergate and you'd, you'd been, had the Vietnam War and you were coming out of all of that. And it was, people were looking for hope, even though they didn't realize they were. And right. Like, and that's when Jimmy Carter came and kind of offered that hope. And, um, and Star Wars were kind of this hopeful story, right? And Superman was a hopeful movie, right? And people bought into it because they want, they were desperate for it, even though they didn't realize they were desperate for it. Um, and I think the same might be true now, which is why I'm really excited that there's going to be a Superman movie in a couple of years, because there aren't many hopeful superheroes. You know, a lot of superheroes yeah. are just kind of, this is the world as it is, and we're going to try and make it better. Yeah. Superman is one of, like, along with Captain America, Superman is one of those heroes that says, no, actually, I believe the world can be good and that people can be good and that we can make things better if, if we work together. Like, um, and there is something worth believing in you know um yeah. and we don't always have to be cynical and i think we need those stories and that's you know i'm that's why i'm really glad that superman's you know coming into the world in the movie you know that they've got this movie coming out because we need we need stories like that yeah like we need and that's what perhaps why they're called superheroes is that we need people that can transcend what we can even do but kind of show us the way, you know, and, yeah. and show what, what could be and how the world could be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this has been a really great little mini series. Um, I'd love to do more of this. There's so many characters we could, we could talk about. Well, yeah. And I feel bad for you. You've had a, well, maybe, I don't know. I guess that's sometimes how things work best is when one person comes in with no background on it and gets educated and gets to ask questions. Um, but for your sake, I hope that you can find people that are more educated than I am to have the conversations. No, it's been good. To, it's actually been good for me to, to 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 share it with you because I I love sharing it with people. I love introducing people to these stories that because they've been so beneficial for me and healing for me, and I feel like yeah. they can be healing for other people as well. Like um, for all the things reasons that we've talked about, and you know, you can find yourself in these stories. You can find hope in these stories you can find solidarity you know yeah um and clarity sometimes so yeah this has been great um and i'm sure we'll do more episodes together um in fact i know we will <laughs> um and i'm sure i'll do more episodes on this on this kind of theme as well with these with these kind of characters so um thanks for being my guest um thank you having me and uh thanks for listening everybody <laughs>